Welcome to the LYC Podcast. We are a youth community that believes in loving people and meeting them where they are. Our desire is that through this message, God's love for you is confirmed, your hope in Jesus is renewed, and your faith is awakened. We are talking about more than believers. It is a collection of talks that uh, last week Sebastian started. What you got? What you laughing at? Kimlet, don't do this. Guys, I haven't preached in a really long time. I, I don't even know the last time. I'm rusty. It's, oh, well, thanks. That's one person. Kimberly's like, are you sure you want to do this tonight? Like, <laughs> she never said that. She never said that. This is, this is quiet. It's almost like uncomfortably quiet. Are we good? Like, let's start here. You're not good. Why are we not good? Has it, has it been a good day? Are we okay? She said, ha, ha, ha. It's been good? Okay. Anybody just like really just disappointed they don't have a date tonight? Is that, is that what it is? We got one hand. We got two hands. We got honest people in the room. Who, who has a date, but they showed up to church anyways? Oh, yeah, let's go. That's us. Beautiful. I feel like I should just pray because this, this is going nowhere fast. Do you agree? We're not going to do that. All right, guys, we're doing a series on discipleship. If you're taking notes, I encourage you, please take notes. I am so convinced and so hungry for what the Lord wants to do tonight. Um, but we're talking about what it means to be a disciple. Um, here's the truth. Being a believer is great, but it's not all that. Jesus didn't command us to go into the world and make believers. He commanded us to go into the world and make disciples. Thank you. Somebody, we're going to have participation tonight. This is not going to be a monologue. This is a dialogue. He wanted us to make disciples. Now, disciples, I would call them a disciplined follower of Jesus is what a disciple is. Somebody who follows the words, the will, the way of their leader, their master, their teacher, so to speak. And God wants us to be disciples. Now, I'll tell you, uh, believers, being a believer is great. I'm not going to make light of it. But even Satan is a believer. Even the demons believe in Jesus. I mean, you have a lot in common with demons. They believe in Jesus too. Isn't that crazy? I know it's weird, right? We are called to be more than believers. We're called to be disciples, people who act out our faith, walk out our faith on a daily basis. Now, I wanna play a quick game before we jump in. We're not gonna do a stand-up game. Don't worry, you guys are good. You worked hard for that already. But I just need help making some decisions. So if you will, put that first slide up for me. This is a simple, which one would you choose kind of game. Now I need full participation. So are we eating at Chick-fil-A or Popeye's? All right, all right, show of hands. Where's my Popeye's people? All right, Chick-fil-A people. Why Chick-fil-A? That's a lame answer. It's the best. Popeye's. Super chicks. Are we going to throw in super chicks? Super chicks? Taco Bell. No, I'm kidding. So we're going Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A? Okay. All right. All right. We'll keep going. Go next slide. Next slide. We have, don't, don't make fun of this. We have a Toyota Camry owned by a Scottish woman named Kimberly. Um, and then you have a beautiful Porsche 911. Which one are you choosing? Come on, people. Porsche or Camry? Porsche, Porsche, Porsche. Yeah, you know it's a Porsche. Now, reliability, probably the Camry. All right, next slide, next slide. All right, now this is a big one. 
iPhone or Android? iPhone? iPhone? Where are my Android people at? Do we have any in the... Oh, why is it only middle schoolers? How random is it? No, you're high school. No, young. You're ninth grade, right? Ninth? Tenth? Oh, my gosh. Disappointing. So we're saying Apple then. Apple, right? Okay, next slide. Next slide. This is simple. I just want you to do this. Now, you need to know, that's Lake Wiley, and this is a Caribbean coast. Which one are you picking? Uh, uh, both. <laughs> Lake Wiley is toxic. So we go in Lake Wiley. Anybody? The two people with androids. Am I surprised? <laughs> All right, next slide, next slide. This is a fun one. All right, now, which one are you building a house on? You got the Sahara, and you got this nice slab of concrete. That was not, a, no one's excited about this one. I build sunrooms for a living. I'm like, concrete, oh, rebar, lumber, Home Depot. All right, now, this is a silly question, but why not the sand? Uneven, all right, what else? Come on, give me something. It's with what? You can't build on it. Why the concrete then? Why the concrete then? It's a firm foundation. It's solid. You guys are really the rock on which I stand. I'm Mr. Holier Than Thou right here, right? Well, I, and this sounds silly. It sounds silly, but there's a point to this, right? Foundations matter, right? I mean, that's the simple question with this one right here. Oh, okay. Title of the message. That was lame. Go ahead and put the title of the message down in your notes. Foundations matter. Guys, foundations matter. What you build your life on will ultimately determine what comes out of your life. If you want to build on sand, you're not going to build anything great. But if you want to build something great, something lasting, something that can be used to bless and to build other people's lives, you need to have a solid foundation because foundations matter. Tonight, we're going to just cover a couple key elements of what makes up a foundation as a disciple. It's not going to take very long. We'll have fun. While I'm talking about these three elements that make up a foundation for you and I as disciples, you're going to notice something really apparent. Satan, someone say Diablo. Diablo. Something about Satan in Spanish is like, hmm, it's kind of interesting. Diablo. Satan himself actually very much intentionally attacks the areas of our foundation the most. So you're going to notice that as we unpack these foundations, you're going to be like, man, I feel like that's where the enemy attacks me the most. It's kind of obvious. You'll see it here in just a minute. But let me pray, and then we'll jump in. Sound good? Yeah. Okay. Oh, well, that's okay. Well, Lord, help them. Um, help me. Help me help them. Um, and God, we invite your presence more than anything. Um, we were singing about it, Jesus for our family. Um, God, I just pray that tonight we would not only have fun, uh, but our hearts would be opened. Uh, lives would be changed tonight. Um, Lord, I'm expecting you to unravel lies tonight as well. Maybe lies we believe about ourselves, uh, lies others have told us. Um, but God, I'm just so thankful that you're going to show up tonight. Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay, if you're taking notes, first point. First point is simply this, the first foundation, you throw it up there, the love of the Father. Now, if you're trying to build your life as a disciple, you need to understand that right there. The love of the Father. Amen? 
Amen. Amen. There's a running joke that Kimberly and I, it's going to ruin you guys at church. You're going to really hate this. There is a very funny joke that every Sunday morning at Lakeshore Christian Fellowship, our church says amen at the most inappropriate times. You know what amen means? So be it. Like, yes, I want that to happen. And like, we'll be like talking. It's like, yeah, my, my back hurts. So be it. Amen. What? Do you guys get what I'm getting at here? It drives me absolutely up a wall. It drives me crazy. It's like, my puppy died. Amen. From the back. It's like, that's not what you're supposed to say here. Like, control your amens, people. The love of the Father. If you have a Bible, open up to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. Now, here's something interesting about God himself. God operates with perfect identity. He's perfect in his identity. He's not shaky. He's not insecure. He's not flighty. He's not emotional. He's not this way today, a different way tomorrow. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? First John. First John. I like the support in the front. First John chapter 4, verse 16. Throw it up there for me. And we have known and believed that the love that God has for us, hear it with me, God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. God is love. Now, I'll tell you right off the bat, the world, the enemy, maybe your friends sometimes, would love to make you think that God is anything but loving, anything but kind. But from the book of 1 John chapter 4, verse 16, we have confidence knowing that our God is love. It's not, uh, depending on what day you talk to him, he might be loving, he might be really irritated because you did that thing. No, it's who he is. You cannot separate love from God. You cannot separate God from love. You cannot separate Matthew Tillery from his eyebrows. It's part of who I am. It's my DNA. It's the fabric of my being. Watch out for them tweezers, you know what I'm talking about? Like, but, but that's God. He is loving. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through this here. Have you heard of this word called perichorstasis? Of course you haven't. Yeah, I, I barely heard about it myself. Say it with me because it's kind of fun. Perichorstasis. Say it with a little bit more of like a thug in your voice. Like you just like did something dangerous or illegal. Perichorstasis. Look at your neighbor with a stank face and be like, perichorstasis. You, you, what are you talking about? Perichorstasis. Perichorstasis is a beautiful word. Around 400 AD, right after Jesus, well, not right after, 400 years about after Jesus. Sure, medieval times. You have this group of believers who are trying to describe the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, we know the Father, he's that Father, and he has a big beard, and he's in heaven. And we know Jesus, who also has a big beard, but he died on a cross. And we have the Holy Spirit, who's like, kind of like a ghost or something. But we have an idea in our mind, right, about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They're pretty separate in our minds, right? Oh, maybe not. Maybe not. These people invented and came up with the word perichorstasis. It's where we get our word choreography. It described the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in this beautiful three-person dance. And in this dance, they're perfectly unified, lacking nothing, and fully complete. I know, I can't dance. It's like, he's so white. Mm. <laughs> Have you, it's like in Hitch, you just, this is where you live, right here. Oh God, that's painful. But perichorstasis, God, when he said, let there be light, and he created everything, he was in perichorstasis. Perfect, 
complete, holy, unified with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. They're perfectly in step. And then he makes you. So God made humans not out of some need. He didn't need us. He wants us. He, he didn't lack. He was so complete, so whole, but yet he made us to be simply his delight. Oh, our father, your father in heaven, he loves you. He loves you. That's okay. He loves you. I mean, John 3, 16, we don't have to put it on the screen. It's okay. But for God so loved the world that he gave us his one and only son, that if you just believe in him, you're going to heaven. Some of you won't give me the last stick of gum in your pocket here, but Jesus was, like, God was willing to give his son for you. He was willing to lay down his one and only son so that you and I might have relationship with him. He's loving. If you have your Bible, go to Matthew chapter 18. While you're turning, I'm going to tell you another one. In, uh, go Matthew 18 for me. I'm going to read another scripture for you. In John 3.1, it tells us that we are his kids. We've been adopted by God. In Matthew 18, it says, what do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the 99 and go to the mountains to seek the one that is straying? Next verse. And if he should find it, assuredly I say to you, that means I'm telling you what? I'm telling you what? I say to you this. He rejoices more over that one sheep who was lost than the 99 that did not go astray. Do we have verse 14? Yeah, we do. Even so, it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Your God, the Father of God, Father God, loves you so, so much. Now, I'm going to keep it brief here. Matthew chapter 6. If you have your Bible, I say open up to Matthew chapter 6. It is delicious. I love this scripture. Now, I'm going to bridge it because we're not going to read the entire chapter of Matthew chapter 6 because it's going to take a long time. And you guys are already a little exhausted. I can see it on your face. It's okay. Oh, you have a Bible. I can see it. I appreciate you bringing your Bible to church. Come on, people. If you bring your Bible and your journal, you get something free from the store every single Wednesday. I promise. I'll take that. Matthew chapter 6, though. We see Jesus teaching. Yeah, well, uh, I'm sorry, Sebastian. I said it. It's in the mic, so that means it's cemented in truth. Nope, nope. Matthew chapter six, we see Jesus exhorting his disciples. Come on, guys, I'm, please just listen to me, listen to me. If you give, give in secret so that nobody sees it except for your heavenly father. And when you pray, don't pray out loud in front of everyone. Be like, oh, look at me, I'm so spiritual, I'm praying, amen. Don't do that. Pray in the secret place because your father who's in the Secret place will see you in the secret place and reward you openly. And then when you fast, did anybody do fasting? I drive fast, but I don't know about fasting. Anybody else fast? Fasting, when you're fasting, when you're sustaining from food to press into the Lord, when you do that, don't do it so everyone can see, life is miserable, I'm fasting, I hate myself, but I love God at the same time. <laughs> I hate fasting. Like, don't do that. When you fast, fast secretly because your father who's in the secret place will see you in secret and reward you openly. Now, you might be thinking, God's just trying to make me secretive. Like, he doesn't want me to be public about things. No. The entirety of Matthew chapter six, and I say mark it in your Bible and go back and read it later tonight, is Jesus is begging us, have a relationship with the father. In your giving, consider the father. 
In your prayer, consider the Father. In your fasting, consider the Father. God the Father loves you and wants to be in relationship with you. Now, here's a very touchy subject, okay? This is touchy. Look at your name and just touch them on the side here. Not in a weird way. Very friendly, very friendly. It's getting weird, guys. It's Valentine's Day. Chill out. Oh, bro. Your family, it's okay. Here's something that's really challenging. God designed our earthly father, your, your dad, our biological, maybe even adopted for those who've been adopted, to be a representation of what God should look like to you. That was actually his intent, his design. And by the grace of God, my dad is fantastic. He's given me a great image of what Jesus looks like. I think my dad, Daniel Raymond Tillery, is the best example of Jesus to me I have. He is the best. But let me just be really upfront about this. Not everyone has a perfect dad, neither do I. And that's hard. And I'm talking to you, you need to have the love of the Father. You need to know and embrace the love of the Father as an aspect of your foundation. And some of you might be thinking, I don't, my father's not very great. And the enemy knows that your father, if he can beat up your dad on earth, if he can punch your dad and make it difficult for him and, and give your dad on earth a lot of problems, it might just distort how you view the heavenly father. It's challenging. And, and I, I'm telling you, I'm not going to do statistics because they're just so depressing, if I'm being completely honest. But statistically, we have never been in a world where there's less fathers. The enemy is wreaking havoc on fathers because he knows, he knows, he knows, he knows that fathers on earth represent fathers in heaven. And if fathers on earth are being beaten up, beaten up, beaten up, it hurts you and I. And I've experienced it with my dad. My dad's great. But I'm sure everyone here at one point in their life, or maybe even now, can experience where maybe their father on earth hurt them or challenged them or difficult situations arose. That's the enemy. Now, here's the praise of the Lord, right? If you want to, you could turn to it. It's Psalm 68. Psalm 68.5. I got a lot of scripture tonight, guys. I'm sorry. Your God, your God in heaven is the father to the fatherless. That's a promise. Where your earthly father falls short, your heavenly father steps in. Where your earthly father experiences brokenness, humanity, struggle, your heavenly father is seated high above it all. And he is willing and wanting and absolutely present for you. Like, you gotta imagine, the God who speaks and makes universes says, I'll be your father if you don't have a father. If you feel neglect, I'll be there for you. If you feel lack, I'll supply for you. He is the ultimate father to the fatherless. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, John 10, 10, but God has come to give you life and life more abundantly. You and I desperately, desperately need to embrace the love of the father. Amen? Amen. And this is something we'll keep unpacking in the next couple of weeks. Point number two, if you're taking notes. Point number two. The finished work of Jesus. It is finished. Mm. Why is that funny? I say one simple thing. It is finished. Like a nice honey-baked ham. It's finished on Thanksgiving. You looked at me a little funny there. Guys, this is an honest question. Do you actually know what Jesus did for you? 
Oh, we got one. Come on, son. I love it. Let me just tell you. Do you know where Jesus' story starts? The book of Matthew. No, it actually starts in Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God actually made everything with intention and design because he wanted, again, perichoresis, right? He wants to be in relationship. God made you and I to be in relationship with him. And it started with these two people named Adam and Eve. They were perfect, without sin, without flaw, without error. And they walked with God in the cool of the evening. It was beautiful, stunning. Read Genesis. It's fantastic. But then this thing happened called sin. They weren't supposed to eat from this tree called the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and they sinned against God. And what happened with sin is that there was a chasm, a space, a distance between us and God that God could not bear. But, someone say, but, there's a cost to sin. Does anybody know what that cost is? Death. Death. Oh, we got some theologians in the room. The wages of sin, the wages of sin. It says in Romans 6.23, you can write that down for reference. It's not on the screen. The wages of sin is death. Because we sinned, we are deserving of death. Are you encouraged yet? We're deserving of death. But God didn't want you to die because he's a loving father. So what did he do? He sends uh, some prophets and he sends Moses and he sends some kings and these judges to guide the nation of Israel along. And then you get some incredible figures like Moses and David and Abraham and not in that order, of course. And, and God's guiding these people all to climax to this certain moment of Jesus coming to earth. It says in Galatians 5 that he came in the fullness of time. All of creation was waiting for Jesus to show up as a baby in a manger. Then Jesus spent 33-ish years on earth. 30 years was hidden. Nobody even knew who Jesus was. But at 33, he starts his earthly ministry. He lived perfectly, never messed up, never did wrong, was a holy, holy man, perfect in every single way. And he came to die in your place for your sin, your wrong, your heir, so that you and I can go to heaven and be right with him. That is what Jesus did for you. And John three sixteen, we already read, you don't have to put it up there, that if you just believe in the finished work of Jesus, that's what he said on the cross as he was about to give up his life. It is finished. All of your striving, all of the debt that you have accrued over your life because you've sinned. If you sin once, you're deserving of death. If you sin twice, you got double death. I can't even count how much, like quintillion times over debt of death on my life right now. But because Jesus was a perfect sacrifice, he had enough in him to pay for everyone forever. Isn't that incredible? You are completely debt-free because of Jesus, of what he did on the cross. Jesus died in your place. 2 Corinthians 5.21 It says that he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He became sin so you could become right. Oh my gosh, nobody's getting it. It's okay. Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his love for us. God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for you. You didn't have to get your act straight before you could come to him. You didn't have to be perfect to accept the sacrifice of Jesus. You didn't have to look right, speak right, do right, be right. You didn't have to. 
Because Jesus was right. Jesus did right. And Jesus died in your place. Isn't that incredible? And obviously, that's so crucial to becoming a disciple. Okay, here we go. What happens if I don't understand that Jesus paid for what I need to pay for on the cross for me? What happens, right? You become your own God. Early example, Eve, she became her own God. Uh, did, did God really say that I can't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Well, he said, don't eat it, don't touch it. Uh, I guess I'll take things into my own hands. Even though God provided everything for me, I didn't have to do anything. I'm going to take things into my own hands and become my own God and set my own rules and actually introduce the world to sin. She became her own God very, very quickly. Here's another cool example. Uh, Mark 10, 17. This is just such a funny. Have you ever heard those, seen those signs in school that say there are no dumb questions? There are some dumb questions, people. Don't be deceived. Some people have just got some dumb questions. Mark 10, 17. This is the story of the rich young ruler. Anybody want to be a rich young ruler? I mean, that's not, it's not a bad problem. I don't mind that, right? Come on, Jesus, make it happen. This is the story of the rich young ruler. And he comes to Jesus as Jesus is journeying, doing his ministry. And he says this to him. Now he was going out on the road. One came running and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Keep that up on the screen for me. We're going to break this thing down just to show how dumb it is. Are you guys ready? Whew, this is delicious. What shall I do that I may inherit? Okay, nobody got it. Let's try it on this screen. Maybe that'll help. What shall I do? Someone say do. Do, do. Poop, gotcha. What shall I do that I may inherit? Do you understand that there's a problem there? The rich young ruler was trying to gain through work what he could only gain by being a son or a daughter. What do I have to do? Be my child. It's not about your doing, it's about what I did. He had no idea. And we so easily do that, don't we? Man, what do I gotta do to get back in God's good grace? You are in his good grace. What do I gotta do to get right before God? You are right before God because he died on the cross for you. And can you just see in your mind all those moments where you messed up? You messed up real big. Or maybe you just did something that you knew was wrong. And you're like, what do I, man, I just feel so bad. God must be so disappointed. And you start beating yourself up, don't you? You start punishing yourself. But Jesus was already punished for you. So why are you punishing yourself? Why would you do that? You know, and this is going to be graphic, but I need you to just see this here. Jesus died on the cross. So he's dead on the cross, died for your sin. For you to go over and punish yourself for sin, you have to walk over the dead body of Jesus and just reject everything he did for your life to then punish yourself. You can't do that. When Jesus died on the cross for you, it drew a line in the sand that says, stop punishing yourself for the things you do wrong. Be disciplined, be a disciple, follow in my ways, but don't you dare feel condemnation. Don't you dare feel shame. I paid for that with my own body. Come on now, don't waste what I did for you by feeling bad. Repent and confess of your sins so that times of refreshing may come. 1 John 1, 9, it's not in the notes. I'm sorry, Sebastian. 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just. Someone say just. The word just literally means 
right according to the law. It is an act of injustice for God not to forgive you. He forgives you and then he cleanses you from all unrighteousness, all the feeling, all the shame, all the dirt of life that you accumulated while sinning. He washes you white as snow. Revelation, the book of Revelation, talks about him clothing you with a white robe, completely holy and pure. I was in a time of worship, uh, wow, a long time ago, and I had this picture in my mind, and God gives us dreams and visions and pictures in our mind. I had this picture in my mind of this really tall guy, it was God, and he came and put a white coat on me. And then he came up to me and hugged me. And he was massively tall. He was like nine, 12, like 12 feet, something huge. And I don't know about tall people. Isaac, you can maybe tell me this. Isn't it awkward giving hugs to really short people? Because you kind of like, it's like kind of weird. But when you are a baby, when you're small and you get a hug, you get to just kind of get into the embrace. And I had this picture of me being a small kid again and God clothing me in white and embracing me as a son. That's what God wants to do for all of us. Oh, praise God, isn't that amazing? <laughs> oh, it's so quiet, but I'm loving it. Um, oh, so good. I wanna make sure I don't miss anything. Okay, um, point number three. We got five minutes, but just amazing. Um, point number three, the gift of the Holy Spirit is your final ingredient to a healthy foundation. The gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, when you think of Holy Spirit, what do you think of? Casper the ghost, perhaps? <laughs> it's funny. You can laugh. What do you think of? Come on. What do you, you say Holy Ghost. What comes to mind? What? A ball of hair? A ball of air. Oh, air. I was like, oh. Like, <laughs> it's like a cat. Like a ball of hair. Like, no. It's a ball of air. That makes a lot more sense. I'm sorry. What you got? A little nudge and mm, I like I like this one over here. That's good. Anybody else? What do you think of? God's spirit. God's spirit. Have anybody seen Prince of Egypt? Yeah. The giant purple light in the in the, the burning bush scene. Oh come on, people! That's the Holy Spirit. Moses, <laughs> this is a holy place, and you're like, oh, like Holy Spirit, like <laughs> like knocks you over. Like it's amazing. Uh, Acts describes like a mighty rushing wind, <laughs> like the Holy Spirit. Mm, give me some of that. John 16, verse 7. <laughs> John 16, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. Jesus speaking to his disciples again. You ready for this? You are a disciple of Jesus. Everyone bobblehead me. Yes. Yes. You're a disciple. Yeah. Okay, good. Good. Jaden, you just Okay, good. Good. <laughs> disciples, catch this. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. <laughs> okay, we're going to hold on. We're going to go next, next chapter. John 14, 16. Go a couple of chapters back in your Bible. John 14, 16. Read this. This is crazy. Again, Jesus talking to his disciples. Are you a disciple? Am I a bobblehead? Am I a bobblehead? Okay, good. We got disciples. And I will pray to the Father, and he will give you, my disciples, another helper that he may abide with you forever. Mm. Just say, mm. Uh, uh, mm. little old school Pentecostal. Hallelujah. That's good. Oh, that word another is pretty interesting. If I were to ask um, Isaac, could you get me another chair to put out? What would you go do? 
Uh, go, go grab another chair from what you're sitting in. Gra grab something. It doesn't have to be far. You can grab another one that's close. Another chair. Another chair. Just another one. Now, Isaac, why did you pick that chair? Oh, he's a, he's a holy man. Uh, did, it, I said another. Did that imply that it was supposed to look like this one? It was supposed to kind of function like this one? Okay, good, you're good. Thank you. But give it up for our, our astute chair salesman. When Jesus says, I'm sending you another, that Greek word for another is of the exact same kind and likeness. So when he says, I'm sending you the Holy Spirit, come, I mean, people, let's just be honest. I love Jesus. Anybody love Jesus? Jesus is awesome. Jesus is everybody's friend. Nobody's like, I don't know about Jesus. Everyone's like, I love Jesus. Buddha loved Jesus. Everyone loved Jesus. Jesus is the man. I didn't mean Buddha. I meant Gandhi. That was what I meant. Gandhi loved Jesus. Everybody loved Jesus. But when it comes to the Holy Spirit, don't a lot of people be like, that's kind of weird, Right? We do that. We have this weird kind of like, uh, keep him at arm's distance, the Holy Spirit. But Jesus, come over here. I want a hug. Why is that? Oh, because we have an enemy who knows how important this part of the foundation is. And let me just give you a little peace of mind that the Holy Spirit is another. He is just like Jesus, but a little bit different. In this one, Kelly, you like that, in a one incredible, incredible detail. Have you ever considered the fact that Jesus was taken away from his disciples when he was put on a cross? They were following Jesus for three years. And then one day, Judas Iscariot comes up and goes, little, kisses him on the cheek, and they grab Jesus and pull him away from the disciples. And it says the disciples scattered because they were terrified. What a moment, right? What'd you say? What a bum? What a bum, Judas. What a bum. <laughs> Got to make a t-shirt about that. Judas Iscariot, what a bum. I'd buy that. That's hysterical. But consider for a moment, you gave up everything to follow Jesus, and then three years in, he's taken from you and killed. I mean, dang, right? Like, what would you do? You gave, I would cry myself to sleep too. You're spot on, right? I'm in. Like, that's, that, that's exactly what I would do. We have a promise right here that the Holy Spirit, come on guys, the Holy Spirit will abide with you forever inside of you. The Holy Spirit can't be ripped away from you. The Holy Spirit won't ever leave you nor forsake you. There's no place you can go. You could make your bed in hell if you want and the Holy Spirit will be there with you. You could go to the deepest ends of the ocean and go as far down as you possibly can. Holy Spirit's gonna be there with you. You can go all the way to Mars with Elon Musk and the Holy Spirit will be there with you. You cannot be separated from the Holy Spirit once you've received the Holy Spirit. Isn't that incredible? And it's crucial that you realize that because here's the reality. Acts 1.8 says that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be endowed with power and, and you're gonna be a witness to Jesus in Jerusalem. Someone say Jerusalem. Judea. Samaria. Man, this is weak. We're going to start over. Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Judea, Judea. Samaria, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Now, does this seem like some foreign land to you guys? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria? I mean, it's nowhere where we live, right? Who is Jesus talking to in the moment? People who lived in Jerusalem. And then the outer city was Judea. And then a little bit further away was Samaria. And then Jesus is like, yeah, and everywhere else also. 
For you guys, it's go into all of Fort Mill and then go to Rock Hill and then branch out to Charlotte, then go down to Chester, then go to Lancaster. Lancaster, how you ever people say it down there? Lancaster. Lancaster. It's like a sneeze. Gonzutite, like go to Lancaster. God wants you to go everywhere because he's endowed you with power. What happens if you don't have this aspect of your foundation? It's crumbling, amen, that's true. It's, it's crumbling, amen, like that's not the right word to use. I just did it, guys, that's embarrassing. Here's a hard truth. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're kind of a cheap knockoff of Jesus. I'm gonna be hard, I'm gonna say it, I'm gonna say it. Jesus what? He healed the sick. Do you remember when he walked on water? Do you know when he cast out demons? Do you know when he heard the voice of God and prophesied and what he prophesied came true? He was a supernatural God. And you all will sit in here and say, I want to be like Christ. But sometimes we deny the power to look like Christ. You need the Holy Spirit to actually look like Christ. You can't represent a supernatural God and be very natural. And then here we go. The Holy Spirit's the one who says, I'm going to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, who's convicting you of sin? Who's challenging you? A world, let's just, I'm, I'm going to be general here. I'm not talking, I'm not looking at anybody. But when you don't have the Holy Spirit, you become numb to sin and acceptable to it. It's not that bad. Love is love. This is that. It's not that bad. It's just a little poop in the brownies. It's a joke, but you'd never eat those brownies, would you? Amen. <laughs> You're funny. But this is the world we live in. We have millions of Christians who don't have the Holy Spirit and think sin is good. Right is wrong and wrong is right. We're living in a backwards world. And we desperately need the Holy Spirit. Oh my gosh. Have you, oh, this is such a good story. I want to make sure we have time for it. Okay, we're good, we're good. There's a story. It's Acts 16, isn't it? It's Acts 16. Um, when, when oh, this is so good. This is such a painful but fun story. There's this guy who's trying to cast out demons, right? And he says, in the name of Jesus, get out of this man. And the demon inside the man says, Jesus, I know. And that apostle Paul, I know him. Who are you? And then the demon-possessed man jumps on top of this guy and beats him up. Yikes, right? They had a form of godliness without any power. They had the title Christian, but didn't follow in his ways. Didn't look like him, breathe like him, talk like him, function like him, be endowed with power like him. So, here are your foundations again. We're going to do a quick recap. Point number one, the love of the Father, right? You need to have the understanding of the love of the Father, and I want to make it very apparent to you guys. If you have stuff going on with your dad, if you have father trauma, father drama, fatherlessness, please come talk to us. Understanding and navigating the complexities of fathering and the love of the Father is very intense, it's not something you should do alone. 
It's not something you have to walk in alone. Not only is God the father to the fatherless, but he puts people in your life who want to step in and love you and support you in the process. So I want to make sure you got that. The love of the father is the first key ingredient to a good foundation. The second is simply this, the finished work of Jesus. And I don't think I need to say anything else about that because that work is done. Amen. Amen. Mm, so good. Stop punishing yourself. And point number three, again, just a quick recap, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, you all get this. You listen to the message, right? Do you think you have a good foundation yet? Probably, maybe. It's not really clear, is it, right? It's kind of like, that seems like a trick question. I don't want to answer it. You have all of the ingredients. You may not have a foundation yet. When you're building a house, there usually starts with a giant plot of land, flat. There's dirt, a lot of dirt, actually. Down here in the south, there's clay, but there's dirt. It's flat. What's the first step in pouring a foundation? Anybody want to guess? I hear cement. I hear flattening. Uh, Digging. Where are you going to pour the concrete if there's nowhere to pour it? You have to first dig up areas in your life to make space for these foundations. A lot of us live every day with the ingredients, but no space for them. So we carry them in our pocket and our lives don't change. And if somebody asks, are you a Christian? Yeah. God loves me, I think. Jesus died. You know, he's alive now though. And the Holy Spirit's some weird ghost friend. I don't know. But it's not changing your life. You and I have to do the grunt work of digging up our heart, our life to make space. And I'm gonna tell you, I build sunrooms for a living. That's my job. It's kind of cool. When you dig up for a foundation, you don't leave the dirt there. You haul it away so it's never on that property again. Now, if you do it wrong, you leave that dirt there and it creates drainage issues and the concrete gets all watery and it breaks. That's another message, cool analogy. But a healthy foundation is where you dig up the soil and somebody comes with a big old truck, loads it up and hauls it away for that property to never see it again. I, this is me personally, this is Matt talking. I want you to have a strong foundation. I can't force you to dig a, dig a space for it. And I wish I could, because then I would just do it and you guys would have great lives, but I can't. Kind of a bummer. It's, it kind of is not fun. We have to learn how to dig space. You have to think about making space for the Father love of God, the love of the Father. You have to make space for the redeeming, finished work of Jesus. And you have to make space for the Holy Spirit in your life every single day to have a strong foundation. And guess what? That's the beginning. Foundation is the bottom floor. You only go up from there. Do we want to come back here in a year and me preach the same message because none of us changed? All of our lives look the same. None of the problems have been solved. The world's still bleak. Everything's going... Or do we want to build a foundation, build our lives upon that foundation and change the world? Starting in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. Can I pray? Let's pray. Lord, we desperately, desperately need you. Um, I pray right now, Holy Spirit, we invite you to begin to speak to us about how to clear the space for the foundations. Lord, even now you're speaking to us and you're you're, you're opening our eyes and you're giving us even thoughts in our head of areas where we can make space for you. Areas that we can get rid of so that we can place you in there. 
And God, I pray that you would so tactfully, so lovingly come close to everyone with the love of the Father. Jesus, I pray that the finished work on the cross would become so real to us. That people who are trapped in this cycle of punishing themselves for their sin and their wrong would be set free tonight in the name of Jesus. I say punishing yourself ends tonight. We don't do that anymore. And here we go, we don't do that to others anymore. Jesus, help us to be people who reconcile others back to you. I want people to come to this church, Jesus, and see how well we love because you love us. See how well we forgive because you forgive us. And Jesus, lastly, I pray that the Holy Spirit would empower us and come over us and strengthen us and empower us to go into all the world and to make disciples and to be a disciple, Jesus. Strengthen us, fortify us, give us dreams and visions. Um, Come close to us and lead us. Convict us on sin, righteousness, and judgment and lead our lives. Lord, we love you. We love you. We love you. And God, all of this is for you. All of this is to you. And, and, and just with a broken heart, Lord, I, I ask that the city, the, the Fort Mill, Rock Hill, Chester, Charlotte area would encounter you, Jesus. We want the world to know who you are. So we come in agreement and we with a loud voice say together, amen. amen. We hope you've been inspired by this word. To help awaken your faith on a regular basis, Subscribe now so you can be alerted when we have a new message. Thank you so much for listening.